0: right, it's good to see you tonight, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the discussion that Jeff and I have about a a little snippet of the history of of our church, and and, uh, let me congratulate you again, 20 years of ministerial service here, 20% of the history of this church you've lived. And then beyond that, how long before that, were, how long were you a member? How long have you been a member at Ninth and New Baptist Church, brother?
1: I started attending the church, I think, in, 91, in so 91. In 25 years ago.
0: And came here to work for the State Department, is that right? Or for uh, the Defense Department. For the Defense Department. Yeah, very good. Well, let's launch right into it. Talk with us a little bit about what precipitated the thoughts about relocating the church or moving the church or all, what all those discussions were about and, um, and what What precipitated it? Okay. So
1: some of what I'll say tonight I can honestly say is beyond a shadow of a doubt factual. And then some of what I'll say is is my view, my opinion on why things happened the way they did. And so, uh, you know, there are multiple reasons. It's hard to encapsulate it all into one simple uh, statement as to why the church would even contemplate relocation. I came to the church in about 1991. Uh, At the end of 1992 is when the relocation process uh, actually started, was initiated. And, uh, and as you said earlier, it, took, it was almost a six-year process. Uh, the first committee, the vision committee that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a, in a few minutes, that committee was formed to study uh, the future of the church. And that committee was put together in January of 1993. We moved into this building in November of 1998. So five years and nine months after the time uh, that it was initiated, it took that long to relo- relocate the church, and so it was pretty grueling. But as I say, I hadn't been a member long when the church initiated that process, but I think there were, there were multiple reasons. It, it, it's not just one single reason. Uh, one, one thing simply was that the church was, was in buildings that were dilapidated. Uh, they were in buildings that were very old they were very large buildings much larger than this building because you have to understand years ago when, when 9th and orig- originally was built it was, it was a, a block away from Churchill Downs it was in the growing end the south end of town was the growing area of town at that time and the community grew up around the church and so the church uh, had a great history in fact it was the first southern Baptist church to baptize 500 in a year uh, back in the 1950s, I believe mm-hmm. it was. And so just, that's just phenomenal. But, but something began to happen in the 1980s, and that is there was a transition out of that area. Eight major industries uh, had, had moved out of the South End, and with that um, came a lot, of, um, a lot of transition. And so people were moving out of, of that area. The church was in decline numerically. Uh, over the tenure of at least three, past, in fact, three pastors, including Dr. Dr. Laverne Butler, who had also led the church, he's our longest tenured pastor at uh, 18 years, but the last few years of his tenure, the church began to decline as well, and in fact, I, I, was, I was quite stunned by this when I went back and just started refreshing my memory with some of the details this week, um, because I learned things that I didn't even know, and, and that one of those was that on a 12-year stretch, the church had gone from averaging 1,200 down to 600 Mm. in a 12-year stretch. And even when I first came on staff, uh, you may find this interesting, but just think about how hard it is to grow a church in this capacity. Uh, We averaged 50 funerals a year. 50 funerals a year. Basically one funeral a week. So you had to reach at least 50 people in the course of a year just to break even with the people who who were dying. And so... It was an aging building, aging facilities. They were very large and very costly. It, it cost an enormous amount of money to, to, to keep them running. And it was an aging congregation. We were not reaching younger people. Uh, the fact of the matter is on a Sunday morning at that time, the average age of our congregation was approaching 60 years old. Now, I'm about to turn 52 in a few weeks, and 60 is not nearly as old as it used to be. Uh, for an individual, but for a church, that's very old. For a church, when you factor in children and, and to think that your, your average age on a Sunday morning is almost 60 years old, uh, that, that does not bode well for the, future, for the future of the church. And so the church was landlocked. It had streets on all four sides of the building. Uh, it had old buildings that were very costly. It had an aging congregation that was in decline numerically. And, and it, uh, to, to be quite honest, I think Dr. Butler, I've been told, I've never had the opportunity to ask him about it, and he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he actually saw the need to relocate the church during his tenure. And for whatever reason, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't done. I think it was, it was a difficult process. Um, the other, in fact, Dr. Butler had gone to a city planning meeting at one point and they had shown a map of what they expected that area to look like in the, in the coming years. And uh, 9th and O Baptist Church was not on that map. And so Dr. Butler was convinced that the church needed to relocate and get as much for the property as they could before the city perhaps would come in and take it. Now that never, that never transpired. But anyways, he, he himself was... Desirous of relocating the church, and just it, it just never happened. Mm-hmm. But there, so there were
0: a lot of factors. Very good. Well, what was the process that eventually culminated in a in a church vote to yeah, relocate? It, it was
1: a very lengthy and grueling process. Um, they put the, the church put together a vision committee in January of 1993, and they were given. And by the way, there were nine people on that committee. Several of those individuals have already gone to be with the Lord long ago. Uh, we still have four original members from that committee who are, who are at the church. Um, if, if I can get them right, Martha Searles was one, Rose Booth was one, uh, Jim Thurman, Thurman was one, and David Robards uh, was the fourth one. And they're still all faithful members of our church. They were given the task to examine three possibilities concerning the future of the church. Uh, they were tasked with examining the possibility of, of, uh, of renovation... Uh, the possibility of rebuilding in the same location, or the third option was to relocate. And so they divided that down uh, and they studied that process for over a year. Um, they ruled out uh, rebuilding in the same area because obviously you would have to tear down the existing structure in order to rebuild, or which means that you've got a year to a year and a half with no facility. The other option was to go across the street. Our parking lot was actually separated from the church by a small street that ran in between. They could have gone across the street and built it in the existing parking lot, but then there would have been no parking for the next year and a half because it's in a, in a very commercialized area. They looked at re, re, uh, renovation and remodeling the existing facilities. Uh, as I said, the buildings were very large, very old, And for those of you who know anything about construction years ago, they were full of asbestos. And so in those days, ceiling tiles contained asbestos, floor tiles contained asbestos, piping, uh, plumbing was wrapped in asbestos. It's fine as long as you don't disturb it, Uh, but once you start renovating, it becomes very, very costly because it's a very dangerous, deadly substance. And so you have to bring in specialized construction people to be able to deal with that. And so what they discovered is it was going to take, a year, uh, take over a million dollars just to upgrade the heating and the electrical work. Mm-hmm. Nothing aesthetically would change in the building. It would still look like an old, worn-down building. You would just have updated electrical and, uh, and air conditioning, that type of thing. And so the cost for that, uh, for, the, for the benefit that you were going to receive, just wasn't, wasn't worth it. And so they came back uh, in 1994, over a year later, with a recommendation to relocate. Uh, And then we did nothing for the next year. I I shouldn't say we did nothing because I think there was a lot that went on, but the church took no action for the next year. And As best I can remember and as best I can tell, it's just simply because there was such um, disagreement and disunity about it. That, that I think the pastor just did not have a peace about pursuing it because he, you know, he, he didn't want to destroy the church. And, and certainly, there was a lot of disagreement. And so, the church waited for a year without doing anything. And finally, in 1995, he came back and said, look, we've got to settle this issue once and for all. this It's not going away. We need to steal the issue uh, for certain. Uh, one way or the other, and so they appointed a relocation research committee that would just examine the different facets of relocation as to how they would actually pull it off. Would they, would they try to look at existing facilities to purchase or would they look for land and then, uh, and then build on that land and sell the existing property? That committee took two months. They came back. They made a recommendation to the church, uh, and at that point, the church actually voted on relocation so that's, what, two and a half years after it was initially proposed. And the vote was 233 to 195. Not exactly the kind of vote that you would like to uh, start a major relocation
0: process with. Tell us about the atmosphere of the church leading up to that vote and then the, the Sunday that it was taken and in the, in the culminating days are uh, the days immediately following that? Uh, it was ugly. Mr. Hatfield, Mr. Was, Hatfield there. was there. And he survived, so he's amening that for sure. Y- you know what? It was painful.
1: It was painful because, uh, to be quite honest, there were some people that were mean and nasty about it, but then there were some people that were just hurting. And they truly loved this church, and they wanted what was best for this church, but it was painful. And, uh, you know, I, if you've ever moved into your first home and had your firstborn, you know, and brought them home and they lived in that house and you sell that house and go somewhere else, you may be thrilled to have a new home, but you still have those memories of the fact that this is where I was, uh, where, I, where we lived, this was the first home we lived in, this is where our children came home from the hospital to, well, the same thing applies to a church. When you have people uh, who were here their entire lives as members of this church, and we know that the church isn't a building, but those memories are tied to a building, and so it was painful for for many of them, and and that uh, that is in and of itself painful to deal with, and so it was it was not a good process, and, and I'm not sure it could have been a good process because many of the people just did not see the handwriting on the wall. You know, you could sit here all day long and and give all the statistics that were researched, you know. Declining attendance from 1,200 to 600. Buildings that are falling apart. 50%, by the way, 50% of all the people who were joining during that time were coming from east of I-65. Mm. So they were driving at <clears throat> least six miles. So they were not reaching the people in that neighborhood because it was a very transitional neighborhood. A lot of rental properties, uh, a lot of people moving out, vacant homes, crime rate went up. And, to be, and just to be quite frank, and this is an opinion here, I'll say. I'm not sure the church at that time was willing to do what it took in order to reach that community. Because it was going to be a complete paradigm shift on how you did ministry. And furthermore, I'm not sure they would have had the money to be able to do it because they waited so long that the buildings became so costly mm. that there was too much money being spent on upkeep of the facility and not enough money to be able to be spent on, on ministry. And in spite of all of that, feelings for many ruled the day.
0: But I don't think it was like you were abandoning the area to no church at all. How many churches oh, no. would you say within, say, a, a three-mile radius? Uh, I think there were approximately 20. Okay. 20
1: Baptist churches... Uh, who were all conservative theologically. Now, you have to understand the history of of Louisville Baptist churches. This is one of the largest Baptist associations as far as the sheer number of churches. Second largest in the country. It was the second or third largest in the country at that time, behind uh, Dallas-Fort Worth and Knox County, Tennessee. I think we had 162 churches in this local association. Now, just to be quite honest, most of them were dying. And many of them were theologically moderate or liberal during that time. And so where we were was a very conservative doctrinally area as far as Southern Baptist churches. There were about 20 churches, I think, within a three- or five-mile radius. When we actually located, relocated to this property, uh, rather than a declining population, there was an increasing population, and there were, there were just a handful mm-hmm. of Baptist churches, and, and especially conservative Baptist churches. <laughs> And so, no, we were not abandoned. There, there were there were churches in the area, um, but nonetheless, you know, it was a very painful process. And so, the day we reloc- I mean, the day we voted, I mean, I, I saw people that I'd never known before, never met before. They were on the church rolls. They, they, uh, they didn't want the church to relocate, but they didn't care enough about the church to actually show up to worship. Which makes no sense other than the fact that that it is a reminder that we can worship a building more than we love Jesus. And for some of them, certainly not all of those, I want to make that clear, not all the people who were opposed to relocation fit into that category, but some did. And so the evidence of that is when you have a business meeting and people show up to vote and, and you're wondering, I've been here for five years, I've never seen this person before. And yet they were on the church roll at the time and so they were allowed to vote. And so, you know, we had uh, armed... This doesn't mean much today in a, in a time where ch- churches have security teams routinely. We have police officers in our congregation. At that time, we didn't have any police officers, I don't, I don't think. But we did the last Sunday. Uh, we did the last Sunday because there were physical threats made uh, toward individuals. I remember my wife looking at me at one point during the service and saying, why, why do you keep looking around? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. You really don't want to know. <laughs> And, uh, but I think when we had a security guard on the front row in plain clothes who stood up but his coattail got, co- got caught behind his gun that he had in the back of his pants, uh, that, that uh, kind of let the cat out of the bag that we had armed security there that morning. Uh, it, was, it was vitriolic. I, I, remember, I remember one senior adult lady who, who got on the elevator with a pastor one day and turned her back on him uh, because she refused to even not only speak to him but but to look at it. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate.
0: That's unfortunate. Mm. So it was very painful. It was, and thank you for sharing that. What was the process? So you voted, very, very close vote, 54, uh, 54%, 46%. So what was the next step about finding a place and so forth? And you chaired the committee. Yeah. that began to search for a place. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, they,
1: at, at, at the time of the vote, when it was 1, 233 to 195, at that point they formed a relocation committee that was tasked with searching out properties. Uh, that is a very tedious process because think about it from the vantage point if you're looking for property for your home. If you're looking for a, ha- a property to build a house on, you may not care whether there's anybody around you or not. In fact, you might prefer to be out in the country. Uh, and, and by acreage, but for a church, a church that has a vision to grow and that needs you know actual uh, substantial amount of acreage, the places where you typically find that acreage, uh, there 's no population around. and so you 've got to be able to go where the people are. Mm. Uh, additionally, because you 're relocating from one area to another to the next, it 's not like a church plant where you can just go anywhere and start you've got to start within a certain radius of where you're currently located or you can't hope to have any of those people relocate with the church because it simply becomes too far. And so you had to look at areas within a certain mile radius of the previous church and it had to be in an area that was, that was fairly built up at the time uh, in, order to, uh, in order to be able to reach people in that area. So, for example, when we started that process, if you had said, Jeff, go out and find a piece of property to start a church, to plant a church, well, I would have gone to far eastern Jefferson County. And the reason I would have is because we had a map with every Baptist church uh, pin located on that map. And at that time, you know, 20 years ago, far eastern Jefferson County was starting to grow, but there were hardly any churches in the area. But we couldn't do that for 9th and 0 because you'd be looking at a 40-mile drive for those people living in the south end of Louisville. Well that's not going to be feasible. And so we looked at 37 pieces of property over the course of a year. This was actually the first piece of property that we looked at. They were asking... uh, It it was interesting, there were two brothers, identical twin brothers, who lived on this property with their elderly mother. Neither of them had, had ever married... They lived with their mom, and uh, they lived in a little, little, little white house out at the front of the property, out in front of the road. And they were asking uh, $75,000 an acre. And this is just a hair shy of 19 acres. Well, that was, that was not feasible. That was not feasible, and so we moved on. And we looked at 36 other pieces of property, mm-hmm. none of which we found to be, to be exciting at the end of the day, after about a year, uh, the, the mother of those two men passed away. And those brothers decided they wanted to buy farmland in an adjacent county. And so they, became, they lowered their price. We paid 60000 an acre instead of 75000 And, and we made the purchase. That's $60,000 a lot for an acre of land. Have, have you looked at building a home lately? Uh, it, it goes for twenty-five to $35,000, $40,000, and sometimes more for a, for a half acre. And so, you know, it, it, it was a good piece of property. It's almost dead center in the middle of, of Jefferson County, and, uh, and the church voted to purchase that property. But that, that process took
0: about a year. Mm. And let me ask you this. So you, we, we, we relocate from Taylor Boulevard to Breckridge and Bardstown, and yet we kept the name. And, and what was the thinking in, in that you know first of all because a lot of people would just say well why don't you ditch the name yeah. and rename, rename the church and rebrand it
1: Yeah. well one of the morals of the story is never name your church after a street corner uh, because <laughs> yeah. you know the Lord could do something different and in fact that was by the way that was one of the objections that we heard about relocating is that the Lord put us on this property and that's true
0: he put, them, he put them in Egypt at one time as That's well. That's exactly was, right. They were glad to relocate.
1: That's exactly yeah. right. Just because yeah. the Lord put us in that property 100 years ago is no indicator that the Lord wouldn't want us to move at some point down the road. And, and so uh, the reality is 9th and O Baptist Church, even prior to relocation, was not on the corners of 9th and O, ba- 9th and o Streets any longer. Uh, this, the city came in many years ago, long before my time. and Maybe some of, some of the other folks here would, might remember. But they came in and changed the name of O Street. And I think it was changed to Haywood. Is that right, Herb? It was changed to Haywood. And that was the little street that ran in front of the church, I believe, uh, between the church building and the parking lot. And so it hadn't actually been on 9th and O Street for many years. Um, but it was a historic Southern Baptist church. You know, it, it's an older church, and it's a and it has very conservative theological roots. And in a time when uh, when this area, specifically Southern Seminary, was extremely theologically liberal, Nathan O. Baptist was one of the handful of of churches, especially of any significant size, that would stand up to the seminary and stand on the Word of God. And and thankfully, the seminary has made a very very dramatic change over those years. But there was, you know, we have a very good relationship with the seminary today. Well, let me just tell you, that hasn't always been the case. There was war. There was war with the seminary at one time. In fact, in fact one time a, a very liberal professor showed up on a Sunday night and demanded to speak because he didn't like what Dr. Butler had to say about the seminary. And, and he showed up, and I don't know what made him think that he had the right to go into a local church and, and demand to, to give a speech, and he brought an entourage of people with him And I don't know what possessed Dr. Butler to do this, but he said to the man... uh, Who was
0: at that time one of the most famous theology professors in the Southern Baptist Convention.
1: Yes, but who eventually was even fired from Southern. He was fired from Southern eventually. Even from the liberals, uh, he
0: he was fired.
1: And so so, (laughs) he demands to speak, and I don't know what Dr. Butler was thinking, but Dr. Butler said, I'll let you speak if you'll shake my hand. And he refused to shake Dr. Butler's hand, and so the deacons threw him out. Threw him out of the building. And so that was the kind of thing that was going on. Uh, And so we had a very rich history. Uh, And during the
0: resurgence, many of the significant people in the Southern Baptist Convention that were a part of that resurgence would come to 9th and O and and speak.
1: Absolutely. In fact, if you were to read uh, Judge Paul Pressler's book, uh, I think it's A Hill on Which to Die, Mm -hmm. uh, about the conservative resurgence of the Southern Baptist Convention, 9th and O Baptist uh, was mentioned in that book multiple times. For the stand that it took um, for, for God's word and against theological liberalism. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I know that, you know, if I were a, an average guy who didn't know anything about the church driving down the street and I saw a sign out front, I would think, what in the world is a ninth and O? Why would you name your church that? But the reality is, it's such a, such a rich history that I don't think there was ever any serious consideration given to renaming the church. Yeah,
0: some things just aren't worth no changing.
1: No, it was it was too difficult. It was too difficult to relocate the church to begin with. To then add fuel to the fire to rename it would really have been adding insult. to And would have
0: diminished the. I mean, the church's rich history would have disappeared. That's right. Yeah, share with us. Then what happened to the building down there? To the land? Uh, what did the, the church do with the property there on yeah. Taylor Boulevard?
1: You know, the city of Louisville uh, came in and purchased that property in order to convert it to a government center. They wanted to house, I think, part of the 3rd District Police Department, part of the Fire Department. They came in. We would give tours of the building on a regular basis because all the, all the different government entities were divvying up their part of the building where they wanted their, their government agency to, uh, to, to have in the building. And it never made sense to me because I knew what that building was going to cost to renovate. And so did they. It was no secret. But that's what they said they were going to do. And then after they bought the building, uh, they decided it wasn't worth the money. I I don't know if they already knew that and just didn't want to say. I'm not certain. But they they purchased the building for $1.675 million. Mm. Um, And then they completely raised the building. Tore the building down. They did what we could not do as a church. They closed that little street uh, of Haywood. They completely shut that street down, and they built a government center across the street uh, from where the old
0: building was, all the way over into the old parking lot. Mm. Well, share with us then. We've got about five more minutes. Uh, where did you meet while this building was being constructed? And and, um you know, share with us a little bit about that, that process.
1: We, if I'm not mistaken, we had our last service in July of 1998 at the old property. This building wasn't going to be ready until November of 98. And so for those four months, we met at Watterson Elementary School about a half mile down the road. And so every Sunday morning, you would go in and uh, have to unload musical equipment, pianos, the whole, the whole thing from a box truck. Uh, you had to set up 400 chairs, uh, 350, 400 chairs. You'd have a worship service, and then you had, you had to get out immediately because uh, their cleaning crews had to be in by, I think, noon. And so you basically you had about a two-hour window there that you could go in and have a worship service and get out. And that's what the church did for four months. And what about Sunday school? Sunday school, we, uh, we, as best as we could, we did it in, in people's homes. Now, we could do that back then because you didn't have the number of children that we had. I mean, today, you look at our congregation, you could put two, home, two, two families in a home, and that's your class uh, when you add the children in. But in that time, we didn't have many children.
0: That's true.
1: Uh, there just weren't that many children. And so, and so we were able to do that and have, have Sunday school in people's homes around the city for, for four months, and even that was difficult.
0: Mm. let me ask you, this is the last question we've got time for. So you've been on staff for 20 years. Prior to that, you were a member of this church, thinking about this entire process and where we were and where we are. Give us a a couple of thoughts that stand out in your mind about any part of that that you would like to to address Um, from a historical, personal perspective.
1: You know, from a personal standpoint... It was, it was painful to see that process even though it was an exciting time because I had feelings even toward that building and I, I had only been there for a few years, you know, but, uh, but I was ordained in that building. I was the last person to be ordained in that building. Uh, my wife and I were the last people to be, or, to be married in the building. Um, I developed a lot of friends in that, in that place. And so I can't imagine how hard it was for people who raise their families uh, for, for decades. I know that that had to be painful. Sometimes doing the right thing is painful. I'm convinced it was the right thing. Someone asked me earlier tonight, what do you think would happen to Nathan o Baptist Church if they hadn't have relocated? Again, this is an opinion. I think Nathan o Baptist Church would be dead. I think it would be dead. Or, or I think it would be so so much smaller it would be dying. Because it was already dying. You know, when you, when you watch your attendance go from 1,200 to 600 and you can't just say, well, it's the pastor's fault because it happens over a tenure of three pastors including the one that led it to its greatest growth. It's not just a pastoral issue. And when you bur- bury 50 people a year and your average age on a Sunday morning is 60, the church was one generation away from closing the doors. Whether those individuals... Who were opposed would want to admit that or not? I, it, it's irrelevant. It was it was one generation away, and so, you know, on the on the personal side, I would say it's a reminder to celebrate your history, to celebrate your past, and have those good memories. But but don't get so tied up in the memories that you can't look forward to what God's going to do tomorrow, um, because because He's a God of new things. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he doesn't want us to stay focused on the past. One of the other things I've, uh, that, that stands out in my mind is the sacrifice that was made yeah. by so many of our people, especially senior Particularly adults. Particularly senior adults. Particularly senior yes. adults. You know, it was not a great sacrifice to me. I was living in Linden. I was living in eastern Jefferson County and driving 15 miles one way to Ninth and O because I couldn't find a conservative church in the east end of Louisville at the time. And so it was not a great sacrifice for me but for those people who lived there near, near the church and, and to relocate the church 11 miles, well, it was an emotional sacrifice for them. It was a physical sacrifice. It was a financial sacrifice because these buildings aren't free. And, and $60,000 know, an acre, the land was certainly costly. And, and so, you know, it's just a reminder to all of us that, that we're drinking from wells today that we didn't dig.
0: Mm-hmm. that other people dug. And you think about it, there was average age 60 when you were there. That means you relocated. The average age would have been about 60 That's right. in one sense. That's right. And so the, what relocated, and sa- in a sense, saved this church were senior adults who loved, who loved Christ and the church more than they loved a particular yeah. location.
1: One of the things I share in almost every new members class is that if you're in this area temporarily maybe you're in school or college, whatever, and you don't get to know the senior adults that we have, then it it is truly your loss. Because many of those senior adults made great... Not to say we haven't reached senior adults since we relocated here, but but for many of them, they've made great sacrifices through the years. And, uh, you know, my goodness, it's 11 miles. I I cannot tell you how many. I I wish I had kept track. I, I probably never knew... But we had a substantial number of senior adults that when the church relocated 11 miles, they knew that they would reach a point where they could not drive the interstate or wouldn't feel comfortable driving the interstate. And so they sold their homes that they had lived in for decades and they moved.
0: I mean, we got people that changed churches like on a dime and now you've got people that will sell their home and move so that they can stay apart Of the church, and die as a part of a church that that they wanted to see revived. That's pretty phenomenal. It was
1: was very phenomenal. And uh, you know, churches, you know, church church life is hard sometimes, even in the best of churches. You know, but when you when you realize the commitment level of those individuals and the sacrifice that they made uh, in order to see this church survive and reach people with the gospel. It just—it makes me proud of them mm-hmm. because because they could have they could have easily said, you know, we're just not going to make the trip. And 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 here's the reality: there were some people who said, "I know that physically I am too old to make the trip, but I'm going to vote for relocation because I think it's the right thing for the church." Mm-hmm. And Those people are heroes. They are heroes. Those people are heroes, and so. You know, when I look around today, and and it's so often, you know, we we at times we're all tempted to feel like that we're entitled to something that someone owes us something. Those individuals didn't feel that way. They sacrificed greatly um, so that others could be here today. Yeah, we owe
0: a great debt to many senior adults yeah, in this absolutely. church. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, thank you, brother, for that. Very good. Well, let me. Uh, Give some instructions. We're getting ready to go out, and uh, let me say this: you might want to order one of these uh, one of these shirts. There are going to be people out here that uh, you can order your shirt. It'll come in, and uh, just in the very near future, we need the your size and so forth. So we'd love for you to to begin wearing these on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights. Once we uh, once we s- switch back to Wednesday nights, so right out here at Steel City Pops, bluegrass music, kickball games, good fellowship. I think we're going to enjoy it. Let's stand and have prayer together. Amen. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the testimony of our, our brother as he shared what was a very arduous time in the history of Ninth and O. Oh, six tumultuous years from 93 to 98. And, and so Father, we pray and we ask that we would be faithful stewards of the, of the sacrifices that were made in those days leading up to the relocation, that we would love the people of God here as much as the people loved it who picked up their homes and moved here and those who voted to relocate the church here but knew they couldn't come here cause us to love the church as much as those dear folks love this church. Bless our fellowship and our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.